I've often told you how uh, uh, we, well, I, really uh, many times uh, struggle um, with doing this. Um, I've struggled this week. I, uh, I believe that um, preaching sermons uh, are what I call the Linus principle, and Linus is in, has the blanket. Is he the one that has the blanket, right? And, and the sermon feels like before you give it and when you give it and after you give it, it's just a blanket on you all the time. And this one has been like not a comforter. It's been the blanket with all kinds of pins and needles in it that you put around. And you, you ever laid in one of those? And you're just going, oh my gosh, I've got to get this off me, right? That's how this has felt this week. So I say that to you to express to you that um, I, you, could, you could gravely mistaken me as being this person who's standing up here and giving the truth from on high. And, and that would be the complete wrong way for you to think about it. It's just... I'm a fellow struggler with you, and the things that we're going to deal with here today are, are, are some of them are, are pretty difficult. And um, so we, we, we ultimately rely on every part of this to, for the Lord to do His work, right? Not for me um, to convict you of anything or to talk to you about anything that, that I think is going to help you um, as much as the Lord has to use His Word and the things that I say to do a supernatural work in all of our lives, including me, maybe me the most. And uh, so um, let's pray and ask him to do that for us today. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we truly do come to you as receivers, and we know that your word uh, is something so badly that we need to hear. And so as we even dive into your holy word and your scripture, we pray, Lord, that it would truly be the means of grace that you promised that it is for us. And that you would use it in a mighty way for us to just to turn our ear towards what you have for us. I pray uh, against uh, even myself and the hardness of heart that I have about many things that are in my life that I would claim untouchable to you. I, I have many, many weaknesses and many frailties, and, and uh, I am uh, just like that person. Many, as a matter of fact, I feel like that person in the dirt today that Carly was talking about. And Lord, I pray that you would be my volunteer this morning that you would be all of our volunteers, that you would come and that you would lift us up with your holy hands and your strength and the power of the cross and speak to us. Whisper to us. Speak loudly if you need to. Whatever voice, whatever tone, whatever you want to say, Lord, we submit to it. We thank you in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. And uh, we are not uh, going to read through all of uh, chapter 7, uh, but we will um, read through the first part of this, and then I'll give you a little paraphrase uh, as to what takes place. We are just coming uh, out of uh, Joshua chapter 6, and what a fun sermon to give last week. What a fun thing for us to consider how the Lord... Uh, gives us great victories, victories like Jericho. We talked about Jericho last week. And so sure enough, here now, we're talking about, this week, we talk about tremendous and utter defeat. From victories to defeats. And it sounds like really, uh, and I'll talk to you about this in a minute, it sounds a lot like our lives. Our lives are a lot like this. And after Joshua and the people walk around Jericho for 
six days and then seven days and they claim the victory over Jericho and everything's fantastic and I'm sure that there was much celebration and wine flowing in the camp that night. We come to chapter seven. And look what it says there in chapter seven, verse one. It says, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, and the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the, some of them, your, ba- your Bible may say, the ESV says, took some of the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. What did, what did Achan do when Achan was in Jericho? The Lord told him, don't take anything. Don't plunder anything. All of it's mine. And Achan decided that he was going to take some things and hide them away. Unbeknownst to Joshua, in verse, in verse 2, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, or to Ai, actually, is how it is pronounced, which is near Beth Haven to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Verse 3, when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not, be, do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And then Liliquist says there in verse, in end of five, it says, at this the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground to the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 8, oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? In verse 9, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. You ever met those people that have a problem, but the, the problem is it's called the mountain and the molehill principle? It's all messed up. And this is what Joshua was in right now. One, one, one uh, defeat, he felt like things were completely messed up. Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. And then look what he says. What then will you do for your own great name? Look what the Lord says to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and they have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies and they turn their backs and run because they have, made li- they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And he says, go consecrate the people. And, God, and he does. And Joshua consecrates the people. 
And he goes and actually has each family come before him from tribes to families, and they come before Joshua. <laughs> and they, Achan ends up coming before Joshua, and they say to Achan, did you steal anything? And he says, yes, I did steal, and let me go get it out of my tent, which he had buried silver and different things in his tent, and he brings it back, and the Lord decides to kill Achan. And that the thing that I want to talk with you about, I just want to talk to you about two things this morning that I think are important for us to grab. And the first thing is, I want us to understand that um, God here, it's a beautiful thing because God does not touch up the photo here. Did you know that? In all of the scriptures, God never touches up the photo. In other words, what I'm saying is, God never presents to us these perfect little people who have perfect little lives, who are doing it all perfect and all right, and everything's great and everything's fine. We want that. We want that for ourselves. We want others to think of that about us, that everything's fine and everything's great and everything's perfect and we don't sin and we don't have problems and we don't lust and we don't have this and we don't have that. We want that, but God does not do that. He gives us people like Joshua who go from a tremendously unbelievable victory, the pride he must have felt, the confidence even in the Lord and what he, how he must have felt as a leader was unmatched and unbelievable. A lot like those campfire moments that many of us have had in our lives, those high points of victory. That are, Thank you, Lord, this is great. Oh my gosh, you gave me this woman. She's beautiful. She's awesome. I'm on top of the world. Everything's fantastic. And she breaks up with me the next day. Lord, why are you alive? What are you doing? What could you possibly be doing? Why did you ever have, why don't you just leave me on the other side of the Jordan and not ever met, had me meet that woman? Right? Are you comfortable at all with the ebb and the flow of life? Some of us here uh, are not. And we feel so much pressure to pull off this perfect image all the time. And as a result of the things that we fall into and the problems that we have, nobody's going to know about those things because we want everybody to know that we're even and on an even keel. I've challenged you about this many times before, but I really feel that this is a problem amongst us. It's almost as if we've, we created this kind of this evangelical generation that can't really even look at each other and say, I just, I'm, I'm, I, I need help. I'm, I'm in trouble. Things are not perfect. Things aren't perfect. It's, my life isn't the Truman Show. Sorry. Mm. It's really, really messed up, and I'm really, really far away from the Lord, and I really, really need some help. How about it? Does God use the defeats and the, these actually even the problems that happen in our lives? Will he actually even use those for his own glory? The answer is yes, he will. He's that good. But one minute we can be living in the victory and the next minute we can be living, living in the defeat. And many times the distance between a great victory and the distance between a terrible defeat is 
very, very short. Elijah in 1 Kings 18, we see Elijah victory, victorious on Mount Carmel. Read it. It's an unbelievable story. He went up against all the priests. You all know it from Sunday school. He went up against all the priests, and he said, okay, if your God's great, have your God come down and light the fire. And they prayed and cut themselves, mutilated themselves, blood all over, and screamed and hollered. None of it happened. And then Elijah goes, all right, now let me show you my God. Pour water on it. Remember this story? Pour water on it again. Pour water on it again. Lord, show them who you are. Boom, fire. What the, what, one of the most hilarious parts of that story, by the way, that I just went past was when they couldn't make the fire, Josh, or, uh, Elijah taunted them. Actually says, where's your gods now, dudes? I love that. I wonder what the Lord thought about that. Didn't touch up the photo, did he? That's how I would have probably felt. So we see this unbelievable, unbelievable victory in 18. Guess what happens in 19? Elijah gets afraid and he goes into a cave and hides. (laughs) It's, It's incomprehensible. How can this man be chosen of God to possibly lead his people, you know? Isn't that true? Isn't that what we think about our lives? But guess what the Lord does in verse 9 of 19 with Elijah? He actually says this to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Go out and stand on the mountain. What does he do here with Joshua? Stand up. What are you doing on the ground? Oh, okay. Let me say it to you. Stand up. What are you doing on the ground? The Lord your God is your ultimate volunteer. He he volunteered his son Jesus to come out onto the track of your life to lift you up from the ashes. He hears your cry for mercy. But in verse 6, here back to Joshua, we see that Joshua is tearing his clothes and he falls face down to the ground in total despair. Some of you, is that where you're at right now? Even if you're not there right now, I'm sure you can relate. And then the questions start, three questions that he gives to the Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan just so we would be defeated? No touch-up. God's content for Joshua to ask the questions, and he's content for you to ask the questions too, and for all of us to ask the questions. But remember, remember, the questions aren't the destination. The questions are the part of the process. And in verse 8, O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? In other words, game over. Whatever. I'm done. Everyone is going to hear about this, and then what are they going to say? And what are they going to say about your great name? And the Lord says to him, in the midst of this tremendous failure, stand up. What are you doing down in your face? 
Let me close this piece and just with a few more thoughts for you today. And I love this. Did you know that it seems like in God's economy, God seems happy to show us our humanness? He does. He seems happy to show us our shortcomings. He seems happy uh, for life to be a good teacher. <laughs> Why? Well, maybe it's because he knows that in our humanness and our failures, he can tell us that our failures and our humanness are not the end. And they're not. In fact, failure is oftentimes God's best back door to get a great victory. So the message in this first part is going to be a little bit different than the message you're going to hear me go into in a second about sin in the camp. The message here is, stand up, daughter of God. Stand up, daughter of the king. Stand up, son of the king. Why are you down on the ground? My name is the Lord. I've sent my son. He's died up for you. He is your victor. He is the only one that you're going to find strength and victory in. That's the gospel. You are not a failure. You are not defeated. You are in your desert. You need others to help. Victories and failures. Get more comfortable. Let's think about getting more comfortable with victories and failures. Many of you in here, I feel bad for you because your victories, your failures actually define you and Christ's victory doesn't define you. I've talked to you about that a lot. The idea for your defeats and your failures is not, them for, not for them to define you. There's a young lady here that thinks that because she's giving up, given up her sexual treasure in the last six months, that, that defeat is going to literally hang over her for the rest of her life. And it's going to define who she is that now she's unlovable. That's not true. You're going to deal with the consequences of that action, yes. But it doesn't define you. If you're a child of the Lord, you're a daughter. You're now identified in Jesus, and he can give you the strength to even deal with the difficulty of your life and the difficulty of the pain of those consequences. When was the last time that you got together with your friends over coffee down here? And... Uh, you said this. Let me tell you about a great victory. Let me tell you about an unbelievable victory the Lord's brought me through. Got to tell you about it. When was the last time? Let me tell you, uh, I got to tell you something because the Lord just absolutely brought me through something unbelievable. Just rocked my world on this deal. And I got to tell, tell you about him. When was the last time? Is it always screwed? Is it always just a mess? Are we always on the ground in total dis despair? Are we always just looking at God and just saying to God, God, you, 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 why, why, why? Maybe, maybe the Lord wanted Joshua to examine himself a little bit. What about that? Think about that, young pilgrim. Now let's talk about this. 
Let's talk about this idea, this concept here that's called, I, we call it sin in the camp. And in verse 1, it says here of chapter 7, it says that the Lord, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And let me, if you will indulge me just for a quick minute, let me make sure that I get just a little bit theological with you here so that you can understand. The scriptures have doctrines in them. They have doctrines. They have the doctrine of God. They have the doctrine of Christ. Theologians call the doctrine of Christ Christology. In the scriptures, there's also the doctrines of the church. They call that ecclesiology. The Bible would, would, would the Greek word for church would be ecclesia, okay? There's also in the Bible a lot, a doctrine taught about the doctrine of sin, I believe that is homartology, okay? And I don't mean to turn this into a seminary class, but I want you to understand that the Bible has much to teach about life. Everything that we need for life and godliness is in the Scriptures. And the Bible teaches about sin. Now, I completely recognize what's going on right here, right now, in real time, in space. And what it is is this. Is this is, nobody wants to talk about sin, I don't, because I'm a sinner. I sin. A sinner saved by grace who's still saint and sinner, I still struggle just like you do. But what I want to mention to you today, what I want to say to you today, is that we as students of the living God have a responsibility to see what the Bible has to say to living apprentices like us, disciples of God, about all of it, sin included. We're interested in what the Bible has to say to us about this. So the Bible has to teach. It teaches us about sin. And when you look in the Scriptures, you see that sin is no small matter to God. It is very serious to Him. Even the smallest sin is an act of rebellion against God. Even though the Lord died for our sins and stands at the right hand as our advocate and intercessor, God does not and cannot treat sin in our lives lightly. R.C. Sproul said it like this, Every sin is an act of cosmic treason, a futile attempt to dethrone God in his sovereign authority. When we sin against God, we do violence to his holiness. And that's true. But many of us don't take this concept of violating God's holiness too seriously. We categorize sin. We say this, is, this isn't a big deal sin. For me not to submit to my husband isn't big deal. For somebody to commit adultery, <laughs> huge deal. For me to get a little drunk on Friday night, well, come on, a little buzz. We had an interesting conversation about that with some people. What's drunk? That's good. 